is precious to us, and we are to take him wherever we go. Because if we are in Christ, we're image bearers, right? We ought to be displaying him to the world. The text we'll look at today is in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Well, one of the reasons I'm up here today is to let you all know that um, through much prayer and the reading of the word, Dusty and I um, have been led by God to go to church at Redeemer and Eagle. I'm sure a lot of you know that, but uh, the the biggest reason is is fellowship. Um, it's a means of grace that is very important, and we have that down here, of course. But um, we're up in the Eagle Valley more. The people that God has placed in our field of influence go up that way, also. So, based on those um, observations. That is why, and it, it didn't come easy for us either. It was a difficult decision. Like I said, we prayed very hard through it, and um, it, uh, it wasn't easy. But I want, want you all to be encouraged that um, we're following the Lord's leading, right? If we weren't, then that's bad. Um, and... As a lot of you know, I'm a deacon and a trustee, and I'll be carrying those duties till the end of the year. Um, and then I'll, we'll be on and off here from, um, from now until 2020, and then 2020 will we'll be full-time in Eagle. Um, but we do not want that, just because we're going up there, we don't want that to be a hindrance to any fellowship around here. Our number is still in the directory, call, talk. We can have each other over for dinner uh, and fellowship because the body of Christ is one, right? We're not in competition with, with other churches or anything. We're to work together for the mission that Christ has given us to do. And um, just want you all to know that we're very thankful We've been here 11 years. We're thankful for all that you guys meant for us, to us and our family, how you've ministered to us, and um, we're very thankful for that. Now, for the second reason, take focus off of me now. We're here to hear the word of God, right? Not to hear me tell you those things. Okay. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, we have a speech of Moses giving them to the people of Israel before they go into the land of Egypt, and I think we're going to get through two-fifths of the speech. Uh, Matt only allowed me two hours to <laughs> preach up here. Amen. Right, Matt? No, I, I could have, but it's, it's actually harder for me to, I think, make a short, condensed sermon than it is to give a really long one, as Matt probably knows well. All right, the theme is to take heed to the word of God in yourselves. Um, our relationship to God is not to be passive. It's not to be negligent. Um, 
but it requires us to be diligent and to give our utmost attention to our God. So as we approach the word, we'll do it with reverence and trembling and carefulness. All right. Sorry, I'm breathing hard and my, my mouth is dry. My knees are shaking. <laughs> but that's to who, that's whom God will look, right? To him who trembles at his word. Now therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Moses speaks unto Israel and says, Hearken, listen very carefully. Uh, listen with a diligent mind to the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God giveth you, and which I have taught you and do teach you. Then we see this very similar phrase in verses 1, 5, and then 14. And it's clear that in these verses, that all that the Lord spoke to Moses in these statutes and judgments and how they are to live in the land which God is giving them. We see in verse 2 that nothing is to be added. Oh, I didn't read verse 2. Let me read it. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So we see in verse 2 that nothing is to be added and nothing is to be taken away from the word that Moses is commanding them. And this is now where we see the great theme of this speech and where I'll spend the majority of the time. So the word of God is not to be messed with. When we approach the word, we need to do it, as I said, with a great reverence, being very diligent and careful. And this is not only speaking of the word spoken to Moses, but we can be sure it's speaking of all of Scripture. And it doesn't necessarily say that here, but um, I'll show you that, that um, God mean, does not want his word to be messed with. So we'll turn first to... Oh, where am I? Revelation 22, 18 through 19, and I'll read that for you. For I, test this, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, all Scripture, Old and New Testaments, that's what Scripture is, the Old and New Testament, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And in 2 Peter 1.20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
The words of God are the scriptures of the Old and New Testament from Genesis to Revelation. His word is complete and finished, and you and I have no right to mess with it. We have no need to alter the word of God anyways. It is sufficient for a lifetime of study and sufficient for what we need to know about God in this life as stated in 2 Timothy 3.16. I listen to a lot of older preachers that have probably read through the Bible 50 plus times. And they are always saying how they're finding new things out. But they're in the scriptures so much. I think that's noteworthy to, to remind us that we have a lifetime of study before us in the Word. It talks about an infinite God, and therefore we can't know Him fully in this, the short time we have on this earth. It'll take an eternity. Okay, the Word of God is to be kept. In verse 2, Moses commands us... Wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. My notes are a mess because... I am. In verse 2, Moses commands us not to alter the word of God and that we should keep it. That word there is, in Hebrew, is shamar. It's very, very noteworthy. It means to keep watch, observe, guard, to keep oneself, to observe for oneself, to set aside and be secured, to be careful, to beware, to cling to. This is the same word used in Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, to shamar the Garden of Eden. And we see Adam failed to do this uh, when he allowed the serpent in. So Adam was drove out of the garden, and the Lord placed cherubims. Where? At the tree of life. To what? Shamar it where the sword, flaming sword, goes round about, lest they eat of it. So that same word is used to guard the tree of life. Well, how are we to guard the word? We're supposed to keep the word in that same way. So Adam and Eve took lightly the word. I think they were coasting at that point when the serpent came in. Um, I have an illustration of it. When I was thinking about when you're hunting. When you first go out that first day, you're, you're all diligent, you know, to be quiet and to be sneaky. And then as the day goes on, you start stepping on branches. I don't care if I even see anything. I'm getting tired. So it's, I think it's that same way with our walk with the Lord. Is If we're not careful, we can do that. Or what about... This other illustration, I have a carpenter background. When do most carpenters chop their fingers off? When they're old? They've been safe all their life, and then they start to neglect the safety. They start, their mind starts to drift and think about other things as they're running a board through the table saw. And then they miss finger or two. All right, the, the other illustration I thought of is um, 
What about your daily devotion to the Word of God? I bet when you first got saved, you were all diligent like that first day of hunting and were on fire for the Lord. But then as you walked, so many things come back into your life that, that distract you from the Word of God. And so as you're, you're reading through the Word at first, you know, you're all paying really close attention. But five years later, not so close. You've read the Bible through five times, right? Read the Bible through once a year. And um, you start thinking of other things. And all that just to say, we need to give time to the Lord, and it should be a separate time. There's a time to think about the things, right? We're all struggling. We all go through different things. People are hurting. Um, people are suffering. And we need to talk to those people. We need to think about those things. But there's a time during the day where we ought to give all of it to God. So then, I admonish and exhort you to take the word of God and guard it with your life because your very life depends on it. Okay then, how does this happen that one would take or add to scripture? In the case of taking out what God has said, we have, um, we have this. A person will take out of the scriptures what they like about God, Right? One major example of this is when they say, oh, oh, God is love. And he most certainly is, absolutely, God is love. But they don't like to talk about the wrath of God or judgment. So they take the judgment and wrath out, and they embrace this part that they like, the mercies and the love. We can't take away from God's attributes. When people in this camp also love to say that God is merciful and forgiving, but again, they take out the other attributes. And Well, one thing that I was thinking of, well, how, how do I do this? How might I do this as I'm reading the scriptures? Well, looking back on my walk with the Lord, when you read through the Bible, sometimes you can take these pet doctrines that you've kind of been really learning about, and as you read through the the verses that back that doctrine up are just, vroom, there it is, yes. There it is, absolutely. But if we see a verse that might a little bit contradict that, but it's, it's not contradicting, but it might, we kind of just pass over and say, hmm, and keep reading. But those other ones, boom, they stick out. We need to take heed unto that. Our ideas about God or who we think God is must be found in the scriptures and they must be put through the fire of the word. You can't neglect any part of the scriptures. All of scripture is important. God is trying to communicate to us about himself that we would know him. Well, then some people like to take out the Old Testament. They said it's say, irrelevant, right? Mm -mm. 
that it's very re relevant. It gives us many pictures, points to many things, examples that we need to take heed unto. And I'll show you some of those in a few minutes. Okay, what about adding, adding to God's word? That's equally deadly. If you think it reasonable that a man's thoughts or words can be on the level of the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, you are deceived. Man cannot have words equal with God's word. Man is not even capable of attaining to the power of angels. Satan is more powerful than us, and we can't even hold up to our own moral standards, and we are easily deceived. The Bible is God's story and copyrighted by God himself, and to alter the content is punishable by law, right? We see this with man's words. If we write a book, huh, what about the God of the universe? So I was thinking, when you start to alter the word of God, what are you doing? And you, so you're starting to write the resume of an idol, of the God that you want to see, that you want to worship. If you're adding or taking away, you're basically taking what you like about God and putting it on a resume and creating an idol. All right, back to Moses' speech in Deuteronomy 4. Okay, your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, for all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. So Moses gives an example of not keeping the word when the Israelites began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and the Lord put to death 24,000 men. And in Joshua 22, we get a little more insight into this, that it was a turning away from following the Lord. And then verse 4, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. And verse 6, Keep, therefore, shamar, therefore, and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So if you keep these statutes and judgments, the nation will look and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding nation. And I'll just read Second uh, Chronicles chapter 9, um, the first eight verses. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem with a very great company and camels that bear spices and gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions, and there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, 
and the attendants of his ministers, and their apparel, his cupbearers also, and their apparel, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. And she said unto the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land of thine acts, and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not their words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me, for thou exceedest the fame that I heard. Happy are thy men, and happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on his throne, to be king for the Lord thy God, because thy God loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore made he thee king over them to do judgment and justice. Look at the Queen of Sheba there in verse 8, saying, Blessed be the Lord, giving God praise for all that he had done in Israel. And that's what we've seen up to that point in uh, Solomon's life with David and Solomon. Israel was following closely after the statutes and judgments. In Deuteronomy 7 and 8, For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great, that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? The Israelites were very unique in that the Lord our God was near unto them. He was so near in all things that they called upon him for. Moses is constantly seeking wisdom from the Lord. How should I do this? What if this happens? And see how he seeks wisdom and understanding when God speaks? We'll look at uh, Exodus 33, 11, and I'll, I'll read through 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. That's an amazing statement. And then verse 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy present go not with me, carry us not up hence. That's what I said this morning. If you're not with me, don't, don't have me go up here. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not, in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. We see here what makes them different, because God is with them. Now let's go to the church. God is with us.
The uniqueness of the true church were different from all people on the face of the earth. In Exodus 33:11, Moses speaks with God as a friend. But Jesus also speaks to us as a friend. In John chapter 15, 14 through 17, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever what I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. What was God talking with Moses about? Laws and statutes, wisdom and understanding. He was teaching Moses how to live and what he was doing and what his will is. Well, what does Jesus teach us? He teaches us all those things. What is Jesus talking to the disciples about? If you do, you are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. The commandments are important. Okay, they're important, not so much as the, the commandments that Moses is talking about, but Jesus is giving us commandments, and we're to obey them. That's not legalism. Legalism is adding to God's laws. We're to obey God's laws, and he gives us laws, even in the New Testament, to obey. If you don't obey them, you aren't his friend, right? And then in verse 16, we hear Jesus say, Whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And in the context, we can see if we ask the Father for discernment in his will, for wisdom and understanding in his commandments, uh, he will give it to us. Now, parallel to this, we won't read it, but in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, you won't, if you're taking notes, you can look up that later. In Moses' prayers... In Jesus Christ's prayers, in our prayers to God, they're relational. A friendship is a relationship, right? Obeying the commandments is not the end. It's about having a relationship with God. And we see many times in the Old, Old Testament, it's that they may know me, that I am the God, is so that we may know him. Now we see in, uh, back in Deuteronomy, we see this, For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Well, what people is so great as those who are in Christ? All right, verse 9 is where, where the last verse, so don't fall asleep on me. 
Right. Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which as thy eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration before I get into that, because I think it helps us consider the seriousness of this taking heed, of this shamar of, of ourselves, of, of the word of God. And it's of this temple or tabernacle of God. Let me explain. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul tells us that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. If we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, we need to guard it from anything unclean. And now I'm going to go, we're going to look at what the Levites were to do with the tabernacle, which is pointing to something. Numbers chapter 1, verse 50 through 54. But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony and over all the vessels thereof and over all things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites shall take it down and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard, throughout their hosts. But the Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of testimony, that there be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep, there it is again, Shamar, the charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. The Levites were to guard this tabernacle where the glory of God had filled this tabernacle, remember that? And the cloud of the Lord was upon it by day and fire upon it by night. The Levites were to camp round about the tabernacle, and if any stranger came near, they were, put, they were to put them to death. There was no consideration, there was no hearing, only immediate execution. It sounds about as serious as you can get, right? Okay, now we're going to look at what it's pointing to. Okay, first we'll look at, okay, if you are in Christ, your body is a temple. We just saw that in Corinthians, but look to what it ultimately points to. I'm going to turn to, you can turn there too, I'll, I'll be there for a couple minutes maybe. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, 
and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we see that uh, there's not entrance for anybody. There's no universalism in Christ's death for the entire world. Its sacrifice is sufficient, but we see not everyone going in. We see that in verse 8, the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, they're not to enter this holy city. And I'm just going to jump right over to uh, verse 27, or actually verse 22 first. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. But, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm sorry. i got to get back to my notes. Okay, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Let's read that first. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The church as a whole is built together for a habitation of God, and God is in the midst of his people. The new Jerusalem is a habitation of God in which are the citizens, the saints. And in Revelation 21.10, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, it had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. The walls had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Sounds kind of like Ephesians 2.19 through 22. 
Okay, stay with me. Revelation 21, 27 then. We just read that. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those angels are, are doing something. They're what? Guarding the gates. Because nothing that defileth is entered in. That's what the Levites are doing in Numbers chapter 1. They're guarding the temple from anything unclean. If we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, what is, what is it telling us to do? What's the picture that we're seeing? Well, if God has done this to you, brought you in Christ, and you are redeemed, purchased by his blood, and have been made clean, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then you ought to pay very close attention and give the utmost heed to the word of God and yourselves. In 2 Peter 3.11, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Pay attention to yourselves and guard against anything unclean. If something is against the scriptures, do not let it in. So we have these pictures of the Levites guarding the temple and the angels surrounding the holy Jerusalem to guard against anything that is unclean. And in the Levites' case and in the new Jerusalem, those who are in Christ may enter. And it is those who are in Christ who name names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So then... Be in the word that you would know what the will of the Lord is. In uh, Revelation twenty-two fourteen, we also have another uh, uh, command. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Well, how are you to know his commandments? First, you must know his words. And second, you have to have the understanding which God is pleased to give if, he would, if we would but ask him. James says, you have not because ye ask not. And Jesus says, if, if an evil, wicked father knows how to give his children gifts, will God much more who is not evil, who is good, give his gifts to his children? which is talking about, in that context, understanding, discernment. You must guard yourselves also because a great tool of Satan is to use the scriptures to deceive. Remember, he did that in the garden. He used some of the word of God. And so what did Satan do to Christ in the wilderness? Tried to use some of the word of God. It is written. Satan uses the scriptures against us. That's why it's so important that we take heed. It's so important that we are reading through the word of God. Christ wasn't deceived because he knew his own words. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself the proved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat at doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred. There's false prophets all over the place, wherever we go. How are we going to know if what they're saying is false? We got, we got to be in the Word. We got to study the doctrines of the Bible. Even what I'm saying today, you got to go home and test what I'm saying. If it's not making sense, go home, study it out. There's nothing better for you to do. Get in the scriptures. Be like the Bereans. Acts 17.11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Picture that readiness of mind. like, And search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of, the of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. Earnest to a much greater degree, an extreme degree. Heed. That word heed, prosecho, to watch out, be on guard, beware, pay attention, devote. Sounds like Shamar to me. Do not neglect this, but give extreme devotion to the scriptures. Be in the word every day and devote that time to God in your reading, prayers, and meditations. That's one way we can take heed unto ourselves is meditate. We are awake 16 hours a day, plus or minus. That's 960 minutes. If we were to give 10% of our day to God and our relationship with him, that would be 96 minutes devoted to the Lord. Let's just say we had that standard. I'm not trying to make a new law here. 96 minutes. That would be a good time to give back to the Lord. I would encourage you all to do that every day. I mean, how could you neglect the most important relationship in your life? There's no, no one to, uh, that's better to have a relationship with than God himself. And he offers that through Jesus Christ. Oh, well, what about this? Wives, I wonder what you would think. Uh, let me just go to what I wrote before I say something bad. <laughs> I wonder what you would think if your husband's devoted 10 to 15 minutes of attention per day to you, and they gave 15 hours and 45 minutes to everything else. Well, I know what I would say. I would probably question your love for her if you gave her 15 minutes a day. I'll assume you know where I'm going with that. Second Peter 1.10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. And 2 Peter 1.10 is what things? Adding to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, 
and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these, these things be in you and abound, they make ye you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you can do none of these things without being in God's word. The Christian walk is not characterized with negligence, but diligence. Now a few more, and we'll bounce back to Deuteronomy. So in verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my de decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Okay, so we have Peter saying, stir up remembrance, remember, remember. What's the opposite of this? Forget. It's forgetfulness. All right, I'm going back to Deuteronomy. Verse 9, Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. So we see the danger of here of, of forgetting. We see Peter telling us to remember. And I used to think myself stupid for forgetting things. Right? We all forget things all the time. And I used to think I was stupid for that. But then I changed my mind about that when I was studying this text. And we're not stupid, we're dependent. We're dependent to be re reminded what the Lord has done. If we weren't, then why would God tell us so many times to take heed and pay attention? And we are dependent just as the Israelites were in the wilderness when it came to the manna. And just as we eat food every day, we need spiritual food every day, and a 15-minute snack is not enough to be healthy. Amen. This remembering and this not forgetting is accomplished through studying the scriptures. But why do I emphasize this so much? Right? I've said it over and over. I can tell you're getting bored with me. 
But why do I emphasize it? Well, verse 9 tells us that if we don't do this, it will depart from our heart. The word is, I don't know how to pronounce it right. You Hebrew scholars, correct me. Sur, to turn away, depart, leave, to saw, you know, the cutoff that we throw for the fire. To saw, to be rejected, to forsake. Well, how does this word depart? Well, we neglect it. And as a consequence, we forget. Negligence is not a good thing. It is something we should... It is not something we should ever do, especially when it comes to our soul. So let, let me give you some examples of not taking heed or not guarding yourselves to the Word of God in the Old Testament. We'll start with Adam. We all know what happened. He made a terrible mistake. A lot of times, mankind learns from experience of making mistakes, and we can then correct and not do them anymore. Well, this one was irreversible with Adam. And the examples I'll give you are irreversible, which is important to take heed. It is a testimony to take heed. Instead of learning from experience, how about we diligently guard ourselves in the word of God and take heed? In Leviticus 10, what about Nadab and Abihu, which they worshipped unauthorized? They did what they wanted before the Lord, and the Lord consumed them with fire. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses had experienced this firsthand in the waters of Meribah. What did God tell him to do? Speak to this rock, that water may come flowing out. He was really mad at the Israelites for rebelling against the Lord, and he stubborn of heart and everything. And so he, the God's going to give you water, and he takes the staff and strikes the rock twice. His punishment was, you're not, you don't get to go into the land that I'm promising to the Israelites. But what did God say? Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. It was unbelief. If you want to learn about unbelief, you can go to Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. How about in 1 Samuel 15, King Saul? Saul was supposed to utterly destroy the Amalekites, but he kept the king, Agag, alive and all the good things that he thought were, were good and, and pleasing, the nice things. But he destroyed everything else. Saul partly obeyed, not wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Again, this is not paying attention. This negligence with God. The consequence was the kingdom taken from him. God says that he regrets that he made Saul king because he turned from following him. Samuel said to him, you have rejected the word of the Lord. And then what does Samuel do? He hacked Agag to pieces. Okay, how about 2 Samuel 6? The next is David when he's bringing into the, the ark into Jerusalem. This big celebration. He gets this new cart made, you know, clean, never been used for anything else. And then Uzzah, as he's traveling along, the ox stumbles, and Uzzah goes, ooh, touches it, and God strikes him down dead. What, what, was, what didn't David take heed to? Well, the Levites were to carry it, not on a cart with an oxen.
we have lots more examples with David, but uh, we'll move to Solomon. In 1 Kings 11, we see Solomon loved many strange women, of which God said, You shall not go into them, nor they to you. Why? For surely they will turn away your heart. And Solomon cleaved unto them, and they indeed turned away his heart. What about the New Testament? We see people in the church going aside, swerving, turning to false doctrines and heresies, making shipwreck of their faith because they didn't pay attention to what God had said. And you know the reference that I made to in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 3? Those had nautical, nautical connotations in them. If you don't pay attention, you can make shipwreck of your faith. Well, then look at anyone who has ever sinned or fell. It's because they did not take heed unto the scriptures or themselves. Look at all the examples we have in the Bible. We have no excuse, even in our own life. If we had just taken heed, we say. Okay. In closing, do not be negligent with your Bible, but be diligent. Study, search the scriptures, know doctrine, and know it well. Scripture is given to us in order that we may know God and that we would know that he is God and there is no other. And take your walking with God seriously. I just have one more verse that I'll read. You can turn there with me if you like. Luke chapter 13. It's Jesus emphasizing how we should be walking in our life. 13, 24 through 28. Strive to enter in at the straight gate or narrow gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then ye shall begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Focus in on verse 24. Strive to enter. The Greek word, word is agonizomai. It means to fight, to struggle, strive. If you are here and you have not believed in Christ and have not been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, then you must recognize that you will not be allowed into heaven. This holy Jerusalem is not for you, but rather judgment. The lake of fire, known by many as hell, is the place where you are headed. Nothing unclean is allowed. One sin makes you filthy and unfit. A stranger, remember that stranger we heard in, in Numbers? The twelve angels that guard the gates of the city will not let you in. 
Those who are written in the Lamb's book of life may enter. That's the only way. Twelve gates, one way to enter in. And that is through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sin, taking the punishment, the wrath of God for all who will believe in him. So there is a way, but it's through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His sacrifice is sufficient. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that we would be diligent, that you would give us understanding in all things. Reveal yourself to us. Let us taste how good you are in, in your word. There's no joy, there's no greater joy than to know you. And you have made a way through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it. Be with us now throughout our week. Um, I pray that you would be with us and that our focus would be upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.